This is Way Family Church, and you're listening to our sermon podcast. We invite you to join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030. We meet at Lawford Middle School in Tucson, Arizona. For more information about who we are, upcoming events, or if you'd like to connect, visit us online at www.wayfamily.church. Now get your Bibles ready, and let's begin. Um, last Wednesday, I had someone come over and he asked me, so how's church going and are you still in the book of Ecclesiastes? I said, yeah, yeah, we're actually in, still in Ecclesiastes. He says, man, has it been so depressing? You know? I said, well, no, actually, quite the contrary. It's been a, a, a true and tremendous blessing to be able to see life in the pers- from the perspective of Ecclesiastes. But what I think makes this series special is that we're seeing that everything is meaningless. That is, everything under the sun in the natural world, to see the world apart from God, then yes, there's this meaningless, and you can understand why people would say, man, Ecclesiastes is so depressing. But when you look ahead to Christ, and when you look at the author and the perfecter of our faith, right, then everything has purpose and meaning, and there's life abundance. And I think because we've been connecting those two, we can't say, no, that it's been depressing. We've only been able to say, at least for me, that it's been a tremendous blessing. Amen? Amen. But again, you get to think, And it's very true. Like, if you read Ecclesiastes on its own, you could conclude that this is just a downer of a book, which is why we don't take holes from the Bible, but we read the Bible as a whole. You know, it's good that you're reading Ecclesiastes, but also look to the Gospels, look to the, Old, the New Testament. And I think there's something that might be helpful for, us, helpful for us to understand. It's been very helpful for me when it finally clicked. And uh, I think you've heard this before, but the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Think about that for just a second. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. In other words, it speaks to it. It prophesies to it. It prepares us for it. But then there's a lot of questions that are kind of left lingering, like what does this actually mean until we go to the New Testament and we actually see the revelation of what it was trying to say or what it was preparing us for. And so that's why we say that the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Now we can see. Now we can make sense. Now we have a lot of those questions answered. By the way, I didn't make this up. Someone much smarter than me came up with this, but there's just so so much truth to that. And so I think that there are often times where the Old Testament, again, they raise or provoke questions. If you look at the book of Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes in itself, you would think, man, I have a lot of questions here. What's going on here? I thought this book was supposed to be life-bringing and encouraging, and now I'm actually questioning everything. But when we look to Christ, we see, wow, everything that the Koheleth, the preacher, the teacher, who we know is Solomon, is saying, actually is pointing to something bigger and greater, that which is not under the sun, but above the sun. And so here Solomon again brings a series of questions that the gospel provides good answers to, and a series of insights or wisdom sayings that actually the gospel make better and clearer light to. It's like, okay, that sounds good, but what does that actually look like? What does that actually mean? When we look to Jesus, when we look to Christ, we see, wow, 
Now this makes sense. And so today's sermon title is Wisdom in a Meaningless World. So we're going to take a break from seeing the meaningless of life apart from Jesus or without Jesus. And we're actually going to take a moment, or it's just exactly what Solomon does, to bring us insight, to bring us wisdom, to live by in a meaningless world. Because of the meaninglessness of this world, the counterintuitive is what we'll see. The, 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 the counter to the thing that we don't naturally incline to is actually the most productive. It's the wisest approach. Trusting God over our circumstances and our appearance or whatever life appears to be. God's wisdom prom- provides more protection than anything else we can find in this world, including money. We think that we're safe. If I only had enough cash, I'll be fine. I can be pretty much pay all my troubles away. Wisdom of the Lord is actually more than that. It's more valuable than that. And it preserves life. And it also preserves sanity, especially in a world that's broken and many times make, makes no sense. Would you agree with me? This world, much of it does not make sense, especially the turn that it has been taking. And so I was recently reading and having a conversation with someone about a pastor who became an atheist. Imagine that. A pastor who became an atheist. He was an evangelist of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and now he's an evangelist for atheism. And so it makes you scratch your head and wonder, how does that happen? And so what happened is what, is what many people, I think, come to is they, he is essentially concluded that Christianity just doesn't work that God just doesn't work. And I'll be the first to confess that many times I go to the Lord and I pray to him and I bring my petitions, my troubles, my issues to him. And then I'm wondering, what's going on? Are you even around? You know, those are the moments that my faith experiences doubt. And then it's not a doubt that abandons my faith. It's just a doubt that causes me to scratch my head and wonder what's going on. You know, but too many people, I would say, unfortunately come to the conclusions, I would say, early conclusions in saying that God doesn't work. Therefore, this is also meaningless, you can say. But well, the problem with this man was that he had experienced a series of things that led him to this conclusion from small to little, small things like praying for, let's say, a girl. There's this girl when I was in elementary. I prayed for her and God just didn't give, bless me with her, you know? And then things get a little bit more severe, more bigger, more weightier. And then you realize, wait a minute, there's something different here. I'm, I'm missing something. And then as I continue with this example, ultimately this man had an expectation of God and God didn't meet that expectation. How many times do we have an expectation for something and then we're disappointed because that expectation isn't met? I think it happens quite often. See, what happened here is that God and Christianity were hyped up to him as many advertisers hype up a product. Now, there's nothing wrong about hyping up Jesus Christ and the gospel. In fact, it's good, but we have to be careful of of the things that we leave out as well. This is why discipleship is key. We cannot promote Jesus in a way that's just like a product. Once you make the sale, good luck. Here's, here's Here's the manual. You figured out. Uh, we may or may not have good customer service. You know what I mean? Like when smartwatches started to come out, I was really thrilled about it. I thought they were great. And I really, really, really wanted one, but I couldn't afford the Apple and I couldn't afford the Samsung and I couldn't afford all the, the other ones that are actually of decent quality. And as you all know, once you start considering buying something, the internet finds out and they just promote everything to you that's within that 
that realm, right? And so I've had all these promotions of watches made in China that were just a fraction of the, the cost. And I, th- I thought, these look just like the ones I'm looking at. The graphics look amazing. The, the functionalities look amazing. It's advertising exactly what I want and what I need. I'm going to go ahead and buy one. And I think I ended up buying two because the first one just didn't meet my expectation. And so I tried a different one. They also have a good advertisement. Let me try that. Upon receipt of these things, I was gravely disappointed, as you can imagine. It was nothing like the advertisement. I felt ripped off. I felt cheated. I felt like I'm never going to use this product and I'm going to give them a bad review as well. How dare you lie to me? You said it was one thing, and here I am experiencing a totally different thing. What's going on? See, too often we sell Jesus and Christianity as a product, and we really need to be careful about this. We sell him as something that can fulfill our perceived needs, not our actual needs. We sell Jesus Christ as someone who could wipe away every single one of our tears, And yes, that's true, but can you see that that could also be misleading? So there's a lot more behind that that we need to understand. That's why we need wisdom. We need the wisdom of God. And so we sell Jesus as someone who can wipe away any sense of hardship in life, can restore everything as a genie would, poof, immediately, like magic. If we sell that Jesus, I think that we're setting people up for disappointment in a sense. But if we talk to them about the actual reason why Jesus has come, and if they recognize the brokenness that we experience, the world, and the reason for it, then Jesus begins to make more sense. And not just more sense, but then he becomes alive and true. And then what we actually proclaim of Jesus Christ is revealed to us in a way that we could not even have thought of before. And so we need to be very honest about who Jesus is. We need to be honest about the condition that we currently live in. And we need to be honest about the salvation that we receive in Jesus. And here's the other thing, though. We need to be honest about the fact that sometimes our expectations, our perceived, let's say, um, conceptions of what God is, is not actually what it is because we think so small. Because we think so selfishly. You see, look at what Isaiah says, 55, 8 through 9. God says this through Isaiah. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, this is key insight for all believers, because too many times, too often, we think of God as something limited as under the sun. But God is much greater than that. God is much bigger than that. And when we begin to see that, and it is only through the wisdom of God that we're able to see that, when we're able to look beyond the sun, we're able to begin to make sense of that which is under the sun in this world. Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We live in a world that is broken, my friends, and it's filled with broken people. So everywhere you turn, there's going to be hardship. Every page of life It's going to bring trial, adversity, and hardship. Such brokenness can make our final days seem more desirable than the days that we were born. How many times have we said, man, I just want this all to be over. This is is enough, you know? And too many Christians also say that. We say, man, I just want this to be over. 
Why do we say that? It's because we're experiencing the brokenness that is in this world. And it is a brokenness that is the result of sin. We'll talk about this a little bit more in detail here. But the bottom line is that we need God's wisdom because by our own understanding, which is finite and limited, a lot of what happens in life just doesn't make sense. And so often we look up to heaven and we say, how dare you, God? You know, how could you do this? How could you allow such a thing? And the answer is, you're just not thinking. You're actually just not seeing the greatness of God. And so today, I think that what Solomon brings is very helpful for the believer. Helpful because I think often our emotions get in the way. Helpful because often we do the exact opposite of what the Bible calls us to do. And here's a must know for every man, woman, and child that fears the Lord. Know this. Write this in your heart. Wisdom does not always work out immediately in this cursed world. But because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, wisdom does work out ultimately. Not immediately always. Sometimes it may, but ultimately always. Okay? Now turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and get ready to have what you thought turned upside down. Because it's actually quite the opposite of human nature to respond the way that the wisdom of God leads us to. So this next portion of scripture, you'll note one thing here at the beginning, and that's that God has a design for everything. God has a perfect design for everything. He is the creator of all things. He made things in a specific way. He has designed things in a specific way. And so when we try to function out of his design, guess what? We experience, we really feel the brokenness of this world. So God has a design for everything. He has made the world to work and function in a certain way, and we should totally live our lives according to his wisdom, his way. So to live according to God's way, that, that's what it means to walk in wisdom. Wisdom is life-preserving. Wisdom is protection. And living again against God's design is actually quite the opposite. We call it foolishness. I mean, foolishness threatens our lives, whereas uh, living according to his wisdom leads to abundant life. Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and follow along with me. It says this, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the songs of fools. For as crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and the bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning. Than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance and advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful, and in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find anything that will be after him. 
Interesting. Now, when I first read this, I thought, this makes no sense. I'm confused. This is not, this is not something that we're instinctively inclined to process as humans. Now, a true contrast, I would say, between wisdom and foolishness, a true contrast between God's way and the way that we often do things. Look at verse 1 again. A good name is better than precious ointment. He's saying character, good character, is better than what you look like and all of the stuff that you have. Now, this is important for us to know because especially in America, what do we focus on more than anything? Stuff, things, how to make money. You know, a bunch, of, a bunch of stuff that makes us just feel better. But the word of the Lord is saying, God's wisdom is saying, good character is better than that. Good name is better than that. Good character is something that's built up. You have to go through adversity to kind of become who you are, to be able to be upright, to be right standing, righteous right before the Lord. It is better than to hide and just want things, right? To have this status, to have the purses, the bags, the expensive things, the good perfumes, you know, like precious oil. These were a symbol of wealth. Too many of us pursue that more than anything. Now, I don't know if it's just me, but often I get ads about how I can make a passive income very easily, you know, and this and that, and make money like this and that. Like that is definitely what's promoted over character. If you look at character today, if you look at people, we're lacking it. And the Bible says, this is what we need. We need good character. God's design is that you pursue him with all of your heart, soul, and might. For when we seek the Lord, he is faithful to conform us to the image of Christ. Unfortunately, we don't naturally do this. This is why it's important to have the Lord's wisdom. Verse 2 says, It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it, heart, lay it to heart. In other words, if you had a choice between going to a funeral and a wedding, Solomon's saying, go to the funeral. I know this doesn't make sense because that means that someone's passed away. Like this, why would I want to do that? But if you think about it, there's a lot of benefit in being part of a funeral. Funerals encourage us to live in a manner that recognizes the frailty of life. I've had the privilege of speaking at funerals. Man, it makes you think and it makes you think deeply. And then not that there's anything wrong with wedding celebrations or, or a time of feasting for Solomon himself tells us that there's, there's, a, there's a time for everything. And there's a time that's allocated for that, and it's good for its time. But man, funerals really, really do something to us. They really make us think of life. They really make us think and evaluate of how we're processing through this world. And so that's why Solomon says, it's better to do that. Because many times at weddings or celebrations, especially worldly ones, people actually do quite the opposite. Instead of thinking and processing differently, they get loose and stop thinking. You know, so Solomon says it is better to be in these, uh, these uh, circumstances, better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. Verse three says, and in, continuing to, in continuation to that, sorrow is better than laughter. Again, this doesn't make sense. Like to me, this is totally opposite from my, my personality. I do not like to feel sorrowful. I do not, I rather laugh. I'd rather have a good time with people, but he says, sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. Meaning that when we experience more moments of grief, moments of anger, indignation, trial, etc., we're actually presented with opportunities to look deeper into life once again and to see that which we otherwise wouldn't. 
When we're in those moments of, sor- of sorrow, that's when we're actually inclined to come to the Lord. I've shared this with you maybe more than once, and I'll share it again. Someone once uh, told me, you know, I believe in God because when I'm in trouble, I go to him. I believe in God because when I'm in trouble, I have to pray to him. It's just kind of instinct. See, that's what sorrow does to us. It leads us to him. It causes us to search deeper. Now, the New Testament helps us make more sense of this through James chapter 1, 2 to 3. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So moments of sorrow and trial, they're not a bad thing. The wise will note that these are the moments where we don't say God doesn't work, but rather God is at work. We have to understand that God is constantly working in our lives. And although moments of laughter are really good and they're refreshing, aren't they? Like a medicine is also what Solomon describes it. Like sorrow is better. Therefore, the wise will not run from the morning of sorrow. And then the wise will not be consumed by the idea that it's better to always be happy. This was a word for me. And my wife can attest to this. I'm constantly running away from grief and sorrow looking to just make light of a good moment, when actuality, those are the moments that the Lord blesses, blesses us with, with so that we can grow, so that we could be conformed to the image of God, to produce steadfastness. Hence, verse 4, the heart of the wise in the house of mourning, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Mirth is pleasure. That is which provides no lasting uh, uh, value. Verse 5 through 6, It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. In other words, the rebuke and the instruction of the wise is better than hearing uh, voices that pump you up for doing silly things. And too often, that's what we need. I mean, you have social media. That's what it's all about. It's about you hearing how awesome your sin is, essentially, you know, but it is much better to be actually told to your face, you're being silly. I'm just saying that in a nice way. You know, it is better to say why, to see how certain lifestyles, certain actions, certain behaviors grieve the Lord. And then the comparison, I think, is very interesting. He says, for the crackling of thorns under a pot is comparing to this. In other words, it's like uh, the crackling of thorns in a fire. They make a lot of noise, and it sounds like they're doing much, but they provide little to no heat. It's it's actually meaningless. So what's more important is for us to hear the hard things. If you want more on this, you can look at Proverbs 13.1, Proverbs 17.10, Proverbs 27.5. All of this speaks to this bit of wisdom. So I encourage you to look into that. Um, and, And then, of course, get your counsel from those who will tell you the truth according to the wisdom and knowledge of God and not those who tell you exactly what you want to hear. That's not helpful. Verse 7, surely oppression drives the wise into madness and the bribe corrupts the heart. Now, this verse made a lot more sense to me after watching an interrogation video of several Hamas uh, militants. My wife sent me a link. She said, you got to check this out. It's very interesting. Yeah, I would say it drives us crazy when we see injustices in the world, doesn't it? It drives us crazy when we see, like, God, how, how can this be happening? We say, God, what's going on? Are you not working? No, God is at work. We have to remember that. These are moments of growth. These are moments where we're actually able to, to see his glory clear. And so I was watching this interrogation video. These Hamas terrorists were actually bribed into doing the things that they did. 
It wasn't their idea to go and, and work out these atrocities. It wasn't their thinking. They were actually bribed into that corruption. You see, one of them said they promised us thousands of dollars. They promised us housing and apartments, real estate, space. They promised us prosperity. And then they, they themselves said, we were deceived. You know, that's what happens often. And sin does that. It entices us to the point of corruption because it so promises things that just never, never actually help us, but rather they destroy us. Verse 8, better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. In other words, be patient instead of prideful and hasty, right? Patience pays off. Some of you guys know that I enjoyed work, woodworking. I said enjoyed because I really don't have time to do it much. Man, anytime I cut corners, ah, you know, I didn't let the, the, the stain dry before I put the polyurethane on it. It just messes up the project. But when you're patient with the work that you're doing, it, the outcome is great. You've probably seen that commercial from Carvana. Do we sell the car now? Hold, right? You got to wait until the time is right. It pays off. There is a reward that comes from being patient. Verse 9, be, be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges the heart of fools. Simply put, be kind instead of angry. The Proverbs often describe fools as having quick tempers. You know, sin gets to us. The brokenness in us gets to us. If someone cuts us off or whatever may happen, instinctively we feel like I got to show them that I was upset about what they did. It's nature. It's sinful nature. The wise don't do that. <laughs> we, we are patient. We don't respond in our tempers. We don't get angry. It's, it says here, look at this. Anger lodges the heart of fools. Let's not be fools. Verse 10, say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance and advantage to those who see it. People, especially Christians, often look back to some supposed golden age in recent past, and we say, oh, the good old days. If only life was like the good old days. Don't we say that often? As if the world was as it should have been. Even then, the world was not as it should have been. Even then, in our perceived good old days, there was sin and brokenness in the world. In fact, we think back of our music, movies, TV shows, cars, etc., and we say, man, it was just so much better, you know? But you know what? Your parents and your grandparents were also saying the same thing, and they were saying of your good old days, oh, there it goes. They're ruining everything. So it doesn't matter where you are in time. There's just no such thing as the good old days. Truth is, things have been messed up since Eden. That's when the good old days ended, since Eden. There just have been no good old days, so it's therefore foolish to think back, oh, that was better. Because when we do that, you know what we're saying? Oh, if we can only go back in time just so that we can do it all over again. It's not going to change the outcome to look back, but to look ahead is important. Paul says this in Philippians 3, chapter 13 through 14. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. He's talking about made perfection of Jesus Christ his own, but he's striving for this. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. God's way is that you look ahead to the prize of Christ Jesus, not that you look back because it's going to be better when he returns. It's going to be way better when we're glorified to him. That's what we need to focus on, not the good old days. Do you see that? 
but we are so often inclined to think of the good old days. You see how the wisdom of God is just so opposite from what we instinctively think and make life to be. Verse 11, wisdom is good with an inheritance for an advantage to those, it is an advantage to those who see the sun. The protection of wisdom is like the protection of money and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. In other words, as you impart anything down, as you impart an inheritance, as you pass down anything that's worth a value or a value, wisdom should be that as well. Parents, we need to be imparting the wisdom of God into our children. We need to be talking to them about the things that the world uh, 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 teaches and also the things that the Lord teaches by contrast. This is not something for us just to hoard on ourselves. This is something that needs to enable us to have conversations with people, with our neighbors, with our children, with our relatives, with our spouses, with our parents, with anybody. This is worth handing down. It says it's kind of like the protection of money. When you have a lot of money, you're kind of good, right? Wisdom is even better than that. It's something that we ought to hand out to people. It's something that people need. It's totally worth protecting. It's totally worth investing. It's worth sharing because it preserves life. Verse 13, consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? Now think about this one, because I guarantee you that we're often guilty of this. We know that God makes everything good and beautiful and appropriate for its time. Therefore, it is meaningless or pointless for us to try to fix what we perceived is crooked. Sometimes we try to fix exactly what the Lord has designed for us. You know, I look at it and I think, oh, that's broken. I'm going to have to do something about it. Here I come here, old Mr. Sir, you know, trying to fix everything when in actuality, the Lord actually put it specifically in place for reason. And it is actually not crooked. It is appropriate for its time. Could it be that God has appropriated it times of adversity for our good? Yeah, it's hard to believe. So it's not that God doesn't work. It's that God is at work. Amen. Verse 14, in the days of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. God's work is unknowable at times in that we don't know exactly what he's doing. I mean, often we wonder what's going on. God, what are you doing? I know that you're permitting something, but I don't know what it is that you're actually doing. Why are you allowing this to happen right now? It's interesting. God knows. See, what we can know, however, is that he's made everything beautiful for its time. So when we are dealing with moments of adversity, if we, through the wisdom of God, we can think and say, ah, he's doing something beautiful. This is not for no reason. And I'm telling you, things in this life hurt sometimes. Death hurts, right? Like a lot of things hurt, like bankruptcy hurts, financial crises hurt, relationship fights and all that stuff, they hurt. But God is making an opportunity for something beautiful. That's his specialty. If only people knew this. If only we could lift our gaze and fix our eyes on Jesus. The wisdom of God helps us see life differently, you see. You know, instead of hopelessness, we see hope. We see a world that's actually hopeful because Jesus has come. You know, instead of living with brokenness, there's restoration and there's reconciliation. There's new life. People need to know this. Can I get an amen? Amen. Most are not aware of their sin. And they're constantly looking for things to kind of fix that. They're looking for relationships. They're looking for finances. They're looking for things. They're just wanting to, to, to have that, that brokenness alleviated. 
most are not aware that this is a sin problem. Now, let me show you verses 15 through 22 in the Bible. We'll read this, and then you'll note here that sin is what has distorted God's perfect design. 15 says, in my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his uh, uh, perishes in his righteousness, and there's wicked man who prolongs his life in evil doing. We see that often. We say, how can the innocent suffer this way, God? And how can these wicked people just prolong their lives? It's an injustice. This is the result of the brokenness that we see in this world. And we think, man, this is just not fair. 16. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Huh? You see that? Is there a question mark there? What do you mean? Don't be so smart to think that you're unteachable. Don't be so smart to think that there's nothing more for you to grow in. Don't be so smart to say, I've got it down. I'm good. No. No, 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 no. That, that can destroy you. Instead, look to God, who's the author and perfecter of faith, realize that you have fallen short of the glory of God, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's dangerous for us to think that we're beyond growing. We're still in the process of sanctification. And then also the opposite, it is, uh, be, 17, be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? I think that's pretty self-explanatory. It is good that you should take hold of this and from that withhold your hand for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. The fear of the Lord delivers us from this. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than 10 rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Again, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then 21 says this, and this is interesting. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest, you're, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. In other words, don't take offense to things because the fact of the matter is that you are as filthy also as, as sometimes other people are. You know, you don't want to hear people cussing you out, cursing you out, or doing things, but in your heart, often we do that, don't we? See, the, we have to realize that we are in a broken state and that we need a Savior. And so I would say that it is just a reality that this world has been distorted. Our view of God has been distorted as a result, too. And we've been, we become very quick to receive worldly wisdom, and we've despised the wisdom of the Lord because we think that God's wisdom doesn't work. We need to look beyond ourselves. That's not the case, my friends. God's wisdom does work. It is at work. Now, sin, again, is what separates us from the knowledge of God. And it sounds to me like we need a Savior. The answer to this brokenness and meaninglessness is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at Ecclesiastes. We'll finish the chapter here. It says, all this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the schemes of things and to know the wickedness of folly and foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman, look at this. He's characterizing sin, by the way, the enticement, the lure of it, the temptation of it. He's characterizing in this way. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters, who, he who pleases God escapes her but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which is my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. 
One man among a thousands I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. The Lord's design is not depicted in this world because we're constantly looking for outs. We're constantly looking for things in this world, broken world. But there's good news and good news that people need to know that Jesus is actually arrived and he's here and he provides wisdom for us to be able to be rescued from this. Now, here's some good news. And this is what you know. We're talking about how important the wisdom of God is. Guess what? Jesus is the wisdom of God. The answer is simple. We need wisdom. We need Jesus. Look at 1 Corinthians 1, 24 and 30. It says this, that Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. He himself is the wisdom of God. Solomon saying we need the Lord's wisdom. And in verse 30, it says, and that he became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. This is exactly what we need. This is exactly what people are longing for. And we don't even realize it because he not only is he created all things, Jesus Christ, but he also is the one who enters creation and lives out God's perfect design. He took on flesh as described in John chapter 1. He grew in wisdom and stature as described in Luke chapter 2. We often look to Solomon as the wisest man that ever lived, don't we? We often look to him as someone great, but Jesus is greater than Solomon. Matthew 12, 42 tells us, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. That's Jesus Christ, who is wisdom himself. Jesus is the answer to the limited knowledge that we possess. Jesus is the wisdom that we ultimately need. And, and let me tell you something. Wisdom is not a thing. It is not an idea. It is not a concept. Wisdom is a person, and it is Jesus Christ. We are sinful people who will never be wise apart from Jesus Christ. We need him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so in Jesus, we get to recover and pursue God's design for our lives. He is the one who enables to be able to live out the wisdom of Ecclesiastes. He's, it is through him that we are able to be content with what we have. It is through him that we can be kind towards others and not angry. It is through him that we have the ability to control our tongue. It is through him that we can be patient and steadfast when things are tough. People need to know this. Because if we don't know this, and if we have an ill conception of who God is, we're going to see things the wrong way. And so it's important for us to realize who Jesus Christ is and the fact that adversity is actually not that God doesn't work, but that God is at work. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that you would help us live this out, Lord Jesus. We love you. We praise you. We ask you, Father, to conform us to be like you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.